0: Hi, hello, and welcome to the special episode by a Podcast. The environmental concerns, especially in hindsight of the recent EIA and the protest, which has also sprung up. As you all know, in the latest news as well, the several protests which are happening around the country, especially in Goa, has also raised an alarm among not just the activists, but also among the students as well, as we are the future of, of, this, of this country. And with the matter of the climate change being an alarming concern, we hope that we will be addressing this key issue and also to kind of spreading awareness with regard to the same. So do join us in this episode and and to stay tuned. For those who are new to the argumentative Podcast, we are all we are a team to discuss, deliberate, and debate on several pertaining social, legal, and political issues. And we also available on platforms such as Spotify, anchor, YouTube, and do support us and, and subscribe. to. We are joined in with a, a student-run organization called Yugma. And, and as an organization it's very uh, fascinating to, to note that even in today's times, students are, are the ones for the voice of, of the current democracy. Joining with us is Smruti, who is the co-founder of Yugma and also Vishak, who's the language head of, of Yugma. Uh, do introduce yourselves, uh, Smriti and uh, Vishak. Where are you from, your college, and and what do you guys do as well?
1: Hi, I'm Smriti. I'm a second year student in Azim Prames University. I'm doing my major in economics and minoring in development. Um, I'm from Bangalore, and yeah, like Joel said, I'm the co-founder of Yugma. Uh, Vishak? Uh,
2: hello, everyone. My name is Vishak. I'm a second year student from St. Justice College, Bangalore. I'm the language coordinator for the Yugma network.
3: Guys, first things first. uh, Before we move on, running a student-run organization is never easy. So how do you guys manage it? Don't you think that there's several um, hurdles and several challenges that you have to face to manage so many students together? So what's your solution to that problem, guys?
1: Oh, that definitely is. I think we have, like, mental breakdowns every other week. Um, Oh, wow, okay. But... (laughs) Yeah. But uh, also it's really um, satisfying because we wanted our thing to be in such a way where um, it wasn't the founders who were going to do anything or who were going to do everything, but it was a, a more even structure of sorts. So like Vishak is a coordinator, but he is an equal thing as do I. So uh, in that way, we kind of divide the work and make it makes it a little easier.
3: So you're basically trying to say that it's, it's all decentralized. There's no leader as such.
1: As such. Yeah. There is obviously little centralization, but not exactly. Like, hmm. yeah.
3: Well, I guess when it comes to students, everyone has a thing to say and everyone has their own opinions and how they would like to carry forward things. So that's really good that you guys are give, willing to give everyone equal opportunity to be heard. So I think before we proceed, we would like to know a little bit about how you guys started out and you know, how this whole thing materialized.
1: Right. Um, Okay, I I can start in Vishak, maybe jump in whenever you want. Um, So yeah, it actually started off um, without much of a plan. Um, One of our co-founders, Anjali, um, she got people from various colleges together um, to talk about the EIA draft, which was a big thing that was happening at that time um, around June, I think. And uh, it was about um, like trying to raise awareness about it because not a lot of people knew that the EIA draft was being passed and that the public hearing was there and you could kind of object to it, so um, so she got uh, unions from across India, and then that's how we got in touch, and so we collated a bunch of 120-ish uh, college unions across India, and we wrote like letters to the MOFCC and the PMO, and we asked them to like, with all the objections we had to the draft, and we talked to a bunch of environmentalists and things like that, so um, as we were doing that, we realized that this could actually be a broader thing, because uh, what we were focusing on doing, which was translating the EIA content and making it more uh, accessible to everyone, was a thing that wasn't being done in the environment movement so far. And we thought exactly. we were actually adding value over there somewhere. So mm-hmm. we're like, hey, we should probably make this something. So once the- Yeah, publisher... which...
0: Yeah, but as students, what were the real constraints? Example, like, I think even in your recent, uh, the, the PIL before the court, if I'm not wrong, even the judge said that, why bring in the media and stuff? So like, is there real encouragement for, among the students with regard to such kind of initiatives being taken? Or is there a, a lot of discouragement as well? Because as you're also bringing in a, a lot of unions and colleges as well. So what are the constraints with, with regard to it?
1: Right, okay. So actually I'd like to say that uh, the response as such has been kind of mixed because initially the press and the media were, uh, the fact that we were students was what really fascinated them and they they took it very positively. But um, like Joel said about the PIL, um, the other people, like because we reached out to the media to make sure that, um, I think the law students reached out to the media to make sure that the PIL was um, like ad- received and things like that. They were like, why would you get it out to the media first? And you guys are just doing it for publicity stunts and things like that. So that has been there, which is a little obviously sad because that was not their intention. And um, at the same time, other environments like, uh, like senior environmentalists, they've been very, very encouraging of um youth joining in the movement so mixed reactions I'd say but yeah pretty positive nice.
4: Uh-huh. So guys um I just had this uh query like since we are uh, you know running as a student run organization, we definitely have a review board or uh, you know a group of seniors or uh, such people that program could who could help us in the same. So do you have any such committee who is working for your you know as a in, in the seniority limits? I'm sorry, it's uh, a, a committee which works towards. Do you have a review committee of senior members who can, you know, be being students who definitely require advises from advisory boards per se? So do you right. have a, do you have an advisory board per se a consisting of an you know, and also like, So was just told before? Do you have such a, huh? So, yeah,
1: we do, we do not have like an advisory board as such, but uh, we are in touch with a lot of um, other organizations like Latin Day and SEPAC and uh, Fridays for Future. So it's, our information is not like limited to our organization. It's something that everyone's there and everyone discusses and then we kind of put it out. So it's not merely like it's just us doing it. And obviously whatever we put out as Yugma, we fact check and we check with um, like some collaborators that we work with and stuff like that. So, yeah, nothing formal as such, but yeah.
0: Yeah. But, uh, speaking about yeah, fact-checking, like of fact that since you guys are also into the translation of the works uh, of the act as well, uh, how far are you able to stress support very objectively without any kind of biases and also, uh, who, who's really doing this, doing the translation work of, of these act?
1: I think Vishak can answer that one.
2: Uh, we've not exactly translated the, the EIA act as such, but then we're looking at these small, small things that come underneath it, like our projects and you know, all, they don't need AI clearance. And then what happens if we if they actually grant those clearance? What, what happens to the forest around it? What happens to the environment? And that's things like that. That's what we're translating into this one. What we do is we have a group that is fact-checking the information that comes through. And then we we have people, we have around 50 50 to 60 people that are there throughout India, across 10, 11 languages that are translating it. And then we have those people itself proofreading to ensure that there's no mistakes in it. They check with the original, this one, original content to see. There's no mistakes in it. That's basically how
3: we have structured our group as such. Okay. Vishak, Just adding another question to that. I came across a very interesting observation. So while going through your Instagram page, which will be linked in the description, I came across this very interesting line in your bio. It said all posts are multilingual. So, what was the thought behind that, and what made you feel like everything that you give out has to be, you know, uh, posted in multi in uh, different languages, especially vernacular languages? What was the whole thought process behind that?
2: Oh yeah, uh, what the I joined in as a volunteer in the beginning with the EIA part was going on. So what I what we were what the co-founders felt was that the environment movement as such is completely only in English, and that. You know, the, the voices of the people who are in the 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 voices of the actual people who don't know English and who are actually affected by it are not heard. So, so that to so that was the main intention, right? To reach out to those people to ensure that, that, that their voices heard, are heard and that only English and Hindi is you can't have things only that's happening only in English and Hindi. There are so many languages in India, and many most of us don't even know both the languages, and it's difficult for us to you know, converse in a particular language, as I said, and people feel confident in conversing in a different language. So we felt that if they have to understand what's going on, we have to reach out reach out to them in a language they understand and not. And if it's not English, so we have to, re- we have to use their language, like right? if it's Canada, uh, Marathi or Tamil, Telugu and stuff like that. Yeah. So, oh,
1: wow, that's uh, great. Yeah, so adding on to what Vishak said, um, we also felt like there's ample content in English. Like you just go type anything True. and you'll get anything about uh, about it, but um, the same thing is not there in, in any other regional languages. And which uh, so the information is practically just being passed along within the same crowd and within the same people, it's just like an echo chamber. So if you want to break out of it and actually create an environmental consciousness among people, you need to use language. And we actually found very interestingly, I'm sure Vishak can agree with me that as we started using more language, we got people who wouldn't even really be very interested in the, in the environment as such the fact that we because they using,
3: understand it.
1: Yeah, exactly. The fact that we exactly. use different languages was kind of attracting them.
2: That's, that? Yeah. That's precisely why we're into the translation, right? The moment has been largely in English and then there are people who don't understand it, it is the, and you need to reach out to them. They might not, I mean, Unless we, 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 we understood the EI thing because it was, twa- it was made in English. And then we understand English. You go to a village and they don't know English and they, they, they'll probably have no idea about what this E A thing is. So unless you reach, reach out to them in a language, they'll understand. They'll never know about what's happening. And then those are the people who are really affected by all these things, right? Uh, harming the environment and things. But sometimes
0: so that, with the, with the translation also comes like by mistake, a uh, misrepresentation or like you are like you are uh, miss miss like by mistake, you must have stated it a little different from what the act in, in, intended it to be. So how would you tackle that particular situation while translating?
2: Yes. That actually. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: That, that, that's actually been pretty uh, interesting. So um, uh, when people felt like something was not okay or something like that, or uh, they felt like their language wasn't represented amongst so many other languages, they just commented and they, they, they said their opinion. And then we're like, okay, you know what, if you can help, why don't you help us? So. Anyone who does point out something, that means they do have knowledge about it. So we just get them into it. So it's also a learning process, right? It's not like it's like especially because we we're I think just a few months old. So I mean,
3: that's a very smart approach to this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
3: self-solving (laughs) problems
1: exactly, and and a lot of people actually did join that way. So it's good for both of us.
0: It's I I think since you guys are pretty much uh, stressing upon the point that since. Other regional languages also are, are of prior importance. Uh, what do you guys so sincerely feel with regard to the with regard to the same? Like you, you know, do we really do need to have like a, a unifying language with regard to it, because so that all people can really understand with regard to the act, or is regional language itself fine itself?
1: Um, my opinion is that first of all, Hindi is not a unifying language. Uh, not everybody does. Yeah, I mean, language.
3: come on. The only reason we know it being in Bangalore is because we were forced to learn it, right? Indirectly.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, Vishak <laughs> has a really interesting story about this.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, please do add on to it, Vishak. Uh, so,
2: so, Hindi is, I studied in a CBC school, right? So, Hindi is a compulsory language over there. And I'm from Karnataka. So, I naturally chose Kannada as my. Much... No, no, no. I studied in Kumaranth itself.
3: Oh, okay, okay. Uh,
2: so, I studied Kannada, right? From first standard. And then, when you had to, we were basically forced into choosing Hindi as a third language, and I never really cared for Hindi. You know, being from you know, South Indian, I mean, I'm never, I'm barely, I'm barely going to use that language. Like, only if I travel mm-hmm. to not, North Indian state, I'm going, I'll probably have to use it, right? So I never really, you know, cared for, cared for it. But then, uh, so I just passed my exams like that, and thankfully, it got over after a few years, the third language thing, and then I was happy with Canada. And then what happened when i joined this college is that there are people from other states coming in right so you can't expect them i mean you technically should expect them to learn your language but they you know many people do not learn the local language of that state right so what happened was people started talking in hindi and i didn't know anything like i couldn't understand anything so i I started watching videos on the the filter copy videos helped a lot actually that was english subtitles right
4: so that i could connect
2: those english subtitles to the hindi words and then that's how i started you know building my vocabulary in Hindi. And I'm pretty confident in understanding Hindi, but speaking I and mean, it'll take some time, right? So, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I also experienced something very peculiar. So I was in a school where, you know, a lot of people just used to converse in English. So I wasn't really exposed to any other languages. And I'd learned Hindi up till like eight, ninth, and then after that I took French for my uh, second language. And only after, I got, only after I got into Christ was I exposed to all the vernacular and regional languages. I know it's a fault on my part for not knowing Karda, being a Bangalorean. But, you know, that's when I was actually exposed to all these new languages and I started learning. And this one day, uh, outside our college, there's like this huge line of autos. So I just went and I spoke to this one autodrive in Karda. I'm like, will you go here? And I said that in Karda. He replied to me in Hindi. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I realized that, okay, fine. It seeped into the minds of people that okay, fine, this is what you need to use. Only then will people understand. It. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah actually, um, so my my case is a little different though. I I grew up with Hindi a little, uh, and it was always there. But um, like even when I went, when I did go to college, I realized that like most people, like it's a default to just speak in Hindi. Like they just assume that you know Hindi. Uh, and then you have to be like, hey, by the way, I don't feel like people who don't know, they be like, I don't know Hindi. So can you please like speak in a different language? But just that assumption itself that everyone knows Hindi, that is a
4: very... Exactly. Yeah. 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 Even, even when it comes to like the, you know, the normal language that they speak, it's not the proper Hindi that they've learned in our classes that we've got to communicate with these people. Because they speak in that, real, you know, the proper colloquial language, which we not even understand a word of, which I think, it, you know, I have found it really hard at times. So, you know, converse in that but see when I speak to them like in the proper word by word Hindi, they won't, you know, they they find me inferior in speaking that that kind. So <laughs> I think when it comes to academics in the way we speak, this is the issue like a lot of people face. Uh, I guess. And and there's even like when I went through the uh, you know the, the document of yours, uh, the 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 approach that we have chosen for the for fighting you know towards environmental justice is a bit different. So, like, if you look around, there be a lot of environmentalists who are working towards work with similar goals. And I just wanted to know, like, how Yugma Environmental Justice Clinic is different from other working, other other working and environmental, environmental organizations.
1: Again, um, there isn't, at least we aim to not have a, too much of a hierarchy within the clinic. So it's not like um, one person is delegating the work to others, which I think is not uh, the case in other clinics. I'm not too sure about that. And of course, the language part of it, where um, we take up more local issues and whatever uh, uh, insights we get from it, we uh, analyze it and uh, like make it into like bite-sized content, which we translate into the appropriate language.
0: My specific question would also be that why why did this idea come into your mind? Aren't like as mentioned, there must be several other environmental organizations as well. Why what, what really drew drew you towards picking up this uh, initiative? Because, as, as as I stated earlier, you are the students and you are student run organization. But then, what really drove you uh, to 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 do this task, especially?
1: Right. Okay. So um so the first thing that we had with the EIA itself, right? Like we we also just started off with English and even our letters and everything, everything was in English only. But um, then we saw that one of the main uh, contentions that were uh, against the draft was that um, it wasn't translated into any language apart from English and Hindi. And I think later they translated into Odia or something like that, but uh, that also like, it was just like a half-hearted attempt. But yeah, so first of all, the way the draft was put uh, pushed onto the public uh, amidst lockdown, where you couldn't re- really protest about it. And the fact that public hearing as such wasn't really there and um, Mails were blocked, and the whole thing of FFF and everyone being blocked under the UAPA. So, with all of that, like it was really, really important to get people to know what was happening. And uh, we shared a lot of English content, obviously, and we got everything. But we realized that uh, when we were talking to people on the ground, um, like like uh, my uh, akka who comes home, if I asked her about EIA, she would not know what it is. If I and then we we contacted regional newspapers and we told them about it, and they were like. This is, this is something that we haven't even covered in our newspapers. So that's when we started translating and getting things um, into uh, shape. And then we're like, you know what, if we're actually doing this, let's just go full out. So we call out for volunteers. And like overnight, we just got like, I think like hundreds of them, a hundred-ish. We're like, okay, whoa, okay, we'll just do this then. So yeah.
0: So what if the counter to that is that why are you so against businesses or like, I think what the government is trying to do is more of uh liberalization. Uh, as well so in order to bring in more into the economy. So don't you think it's actually counterproductive to the economy as well? With, with regard right. to the, okay. the, li- the licenses as well, licenses and things like that.
1: Right, um, yeah, I mean, that that is a debate that we uh, have been receiving from that time. But honestly, um, this is a thing which kind of bothers me because uh, there is ease of doing business with this draft agreed and that will probably create more jobs uh, at the moment and you will um, ha- maybe have a boost in the economy or whatever but i'm talking about generally the model itself that was our point the whole model that we're running on is not sustainable not just environmentally but it's not it's not going to hold up in the long run whatever materials we're getting whatever resources we're getting is from the environment and if we're going to keep polluting sure. the environment what what exactly are we go- getting out of this and even within that like Economists love using this. Like they keep saying development and this is for development. What exactly sustainable
3: development, development,
1: right? Yeah, no, but not even sustainable development. Like how is it development if people are getting killed um, because of gas explosions near their house? No, no. What I'm trying to say is that
3: is the end goal, right? Sustainable development. But with Um, with a policy like this, you're just allowing more players to enter the market and then I'll just exploit. Exploit. Just reiterating what I said earlier, I said, the end goal of a project like this ideally is sustainable development but through the model they're proposing it allows for more businesses to enter the market and do you not think that over a period of time as you rightly stated it would you know uh, lead to an exploitation of natural resources as well
1: um yeah i mean i completely agree with that and uh yeah so from the beginning itself i was kind of uh we were kind of advocating for sustainable development but Uh, As we're getting more into the movement, we're kind of realizing that that actually may be a paradox. It's utopian. Yeah, (laughs) the scene with development doesn't really seem...
3: Exist. I think being being students of economics, we're fed with the idea that, okay, fine, you can harmonize between uh, development and environment protection or protection of natural resources. But to get that sort of balance is impossible, especially in a world like...
1: I guess so, but that is again within our framework. Like see, within environmental, uh, within economics itself, uh, development itself, like we define it so narrowly. Like development would mean increase in GDP. But development doesn't mean well-being of people. Development doesn't mean um, uh, like clean water, clean air. That's not considered as development. Yeah, I think it's only
3: later on that the ideas of the Human Development Index and all of that came in.
1: That and that's when it
3: really started to have some value.
1: Uh, yeah, but do you think it has value even now? Like, I feel like it's still no. It doesn't have of course else. not.
3: I, in my in my opinion, it's just a statistic.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And like, yeah, like it's it's just seen as another thing. It's not it's not productive enough for our economy to have a clean air or clean water.
3: <laughs> so, uh, also another question I would like to ask you guys, especially Vishak, is how do you guys reach out to the masses? yes, you're doing, you're doing a lot of stuff in, you know, uh, giving out information in vernacular languages. Are you restricted only to Instagram and virtual platforms? Or are you also doing groundwork? We are started with groundwork. now, but
2: as of now, we're, we're rest- a little bit restricted to Instagram, but we have come up with a website that's going to be launched in a few, few days, a few weeks. And then, um, we have this another project which we're coming up with called narrative project that, that basically, uh, is a is a way for people the people to tell their stories to us directly you know not not especially especially in the regional languages right? not just not english or hindi but even hindi also but not mainly english you know use the malayalam kannada telugu tamil and tell their stories about what their what's happening around them that's something we're doing and the website was, which which was talking about where we plan to uh, put our posts and everything, which are, which is mainly restricted to Instagram under the website also. So it's more, it's reach more reachable to people. I, I have met with people who are my age who don't have access to Instagram and they don't know what they don't know what's happening with our, our network. as said, so uh,
3: the website is something that uh, up kind of, yeah. And what was the kind of response you got from these uh, regional newspapers, Were they receptive to your ideas and to your propositions?
1: Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like apart from Instagram, we're also uh, trying to create a stronger platform in Facebook and Twitter because uh, Facebook has a lot more reach and Twitter is uh, generally good like for tweets and things like that. Um, but yeah, like Bashar said, uh, but newspapers in general, yeah, the uh, thing has been pretty good. The response has been pretty good, like I said in the beginning. But um, like um, after after a point, they need something fresh. Like they can't keep Saying the same thing again. True. So uh, yeah. So uh, that way, uh, it kind of died down. But anyway, that wasn't really our goal as such. So we're focusing more on like our personal contacts and when we weren't in lockdown. Like we uh, or like we're we're, we're, we're a pan Indian network, so we have like people all over all over the country. So we use those networks and um, technology kind of brings us together in a sense. So. Yeah, that's what we've been trying.
3: So have you guys taken any, uh, uh what do you say, any measures against the the Goa, the whole thing happening in Goa about the railway line and stuff?
1: Yeah, so uh, we have done a few tweet storms and things like that. We're in touch with a few of the environmentalists who are there. And of course, like general awareness and support of Things that are going on and uh i think we have a post which is also being translated oh, no which was put out in marathi so it was
2: translated yeah yeah, yeah uh, exactly. Marathi and marathi. Company We exactly
0: yeah adding on to that any what are your current programs projects as such like what are you dealing with as of now uh the the uh, um, around the country
1: okay <laughs> so we're doing uh the thing about we're, we're having a campaign about the farm bill the FAM Act, sorry, and air pollution in general. Uh, we're doing a research project about renewable energy and how feasible they actually are as alternatives in the future. Uh, the legal clinic is doing um, a report on the mining law amendment, amendment, and uh, they also formed a PR, filed a PIL against the PRR, um, um, the public consultation happening on Zoom. So that's been happening there. And apart from that, like Vishak said, like we're just focusing on the narratives thing, which is like getting stories from local um, areas and seeing what's happening. Like we did the Hyderabad floods, we did uh, the Thano forest in Uttarakhand, and uh, things like that, yeah.
3: Well, I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And usually what happens is when you're faced with the situation, like the pandemic that was going on and it still is, you tend to like, you know, die down. But I think, The fact that most of your operations have been online, it's only given an impetus to your reach and allowed you to, you know, to get the message across to as many people as you can. And yeah, I mean, I must say, I I do uh, appreciate your efforts. And uh, I mean, what you guys are doing is pretty good. So uh, just keep going, guys.
4: And even, Minaj, like, uh, I think just before we had stated, like, many of the, uh, you know, media platforms failed to inform people or failed to bring out the news. a lot of the environmental issues that are being faced across, across the country. So like uh, just now when the activities of Yukma were explained like a couple of minutes before, I just came to like half of them were not even reported, you know, into our knowledge or we, we did not even get to know about half of these things. So I think uh, media should actually come forth with, you know, effective measures of reporting such issues in a wider perspective because apart from the numerous uh, you know, news, Reports and contents that can just boost the TRP rating or just boost the number of viewership and all. I think these sort of issues uh, have to be brought forth and enthusiastic youths like that of the initiative taken by Yuktma should, you know, definitely they should be supported and uh, literally aided by these uh, platforms as well as you know I believe. And uh, even I had this query of uh, like how well or how uh, how many students have taken part as of now or what is their uh, kind of enthusiasm that these students put forth towards the working of Yutma. Like we can find an enthusiastic group of students who are working towards uh, working towards the betterment. And how many students are there as of now? And what is the number of participation? How do you recruit students or so even viewers? Also, if anybody would like to be a part of Yutma? Uh, how do you recruit these students? And how do you you know invite them into the group as, as such?
1: Right. Uh, currently, I think, um, like Rishak said, we have 70 people in the uh, legal aid clinic. Apart from that, we have, I think, safe to say around 100-ish. Um, like, oh, okay. um, yeah, apart from that, yeah, apart from the language, sorry. Um, and uh, how we recruit people is um, we, we're, not, we're trying not to take too many people right now because the more people we get, the more overwhelming it is after a point. Uh, but, um, okay. we, yeah. uh, like we, we were in need of video editors and graphic designers and things like that. So we just put up calls on our social media. We put up, uh, emails to okay. all the college unions that we're in touch with. So yeah, if you follow us there, you will get updates. Okay.
4: Okay. That's great.
0: But with the organization, don't you also have uh, like political pressures or, or like, like since you take up certain stance, which, which might be counter, counter to the government as well, don't isn't it sometimes a a little too political or is it sometimes a a bit, you know, like they might consider you as students as well, but then isn't it also like that way? Like people might consider it to be a little political or things like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, what, what we are doing is definitely political. Like I'm not saying politically biased, but it is political. And uh, this was actually something that deterred a lot of college unions from actually joining us because they felt like we were going against the government and this is not something that students should really do. Um, and yeah, I mean, that is a thing that we face, but at the same time, um, we try to make sure that we're not biased. Like we don't want to be, uh, either on the left side or the right side of it. We want to have, uh, proper information and just environment is the main goal. Um, yeah, we haven't re- received like serious backlash from anything yet. I don't think we're that, um, important yet. So, um, yeah, so far. yeah.
2: I mean, uh. You can't look. I mean, standing up for the nature is not exactly political, right? It's something that we have to protect it no matter what, because it's something uh, we get. We get our uh, water and everything from the the forests, and you can't go against the nature. Is what I feel, right? And then um, you, uh, you, uh, that's it. uh, You, so you can't exactly think of it as a political movement. If if any government is doing something that's going to harm the this one, harm the environment, you have to stand up to it. it. It might be the left or the right that. So you, just because just because we're, the right government is at the center, and then we are standing up to it, that, that does not mean we are supporting the left, or the, or you know we are going against
3: the government. It just means that we are standing up for, to what is right. Yeah, because directly or indirectly, we are also affected by what measures they take. Right? For example, the if the ring road project happens in Bangalore, so many trees are going to be cut down, and yeah. we are only going to be facing uh, adverse air quality. Yeah, that's exactly. true. Like, so, I guess the onus is on all of us to take up the stand for the environment at the end of the day because if we don't stand up for what is right or fearing political backlash or as you said whether you know we're affected or not it's it's going to come back to us eventually,
1: yeah, yeah, especially our generation,
3: yeah exactly true. You don't even know if we're going to live for another fifty years and reach that point
1: <laughs>
4: <Sad>. <laughs> that's that's so scary. scary like even but... like. <laughs> Climate change has been like taken as the one of the biggest issues globally. Like even United Nations have taken up a lot of steps to call up for the member nations to take up, you know, their uh, nationwide steps against climate change. And I mean, it's been though it's been one of the biggest issues that are facing. Like I think a lot of incidents that are taking place in the statewide spaces within our country. Like I don't know how many of you remember the case of the flat demolition that had happened in Kerala. Like numerous flats were uh, demolished down because they had broken the C- CRS uh, b- boundary, creating near the water spaces. So I think the first part would uh, be no, 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 Sorry, I just said oh. To... <laughs> okay. So, uh, so like I just wanted to uh, say so that, like you know, at, at the first part, like in the first period, whenever I come to know about these kind of depletion of natural resources, I get to remember the water bodies, the water resources on first hand. Like they have an increased tendency to pollute these water resources, and most of them fail to, you know, comply with what the government has set up, like a distance that they get from the water bodies, which we, which they refer to as the CRS distance and all. So I mean, these kind of constructions, which are, um, which are, you know, often, or many authorities are bribed by the individuals who want to come up with all these things, and to an extent, uh, legal boundaries are often you know, often covered with the, with the kind of power and authority that we have. Even in the case of EIA, like I've I, I heard a lot of people uh, condemning the draft also on the grounds of the capitalist, uh, you know, uh, interventions that, that would come into the environment. So uh, do you think that uh, you know EIA as a whole, apart from the numerous that we had mentioned, also has an element of capitalist interventions into the environmental proceedings?
1: Oh, definitely. I think that is that is the only thing which is guiding it. The whole the whole point of making uh, ease of business and uh, making getting licenses easier and stuff that is completely purely capitalistic interests.
4: Yeah, which are not even personal, I guess, right? Like many times, nobody dares to question them because they have the power. They want like they won't even listen to what authorities you know authorities don't even try to question them i think that is the biggest yeah. issue like
1: we face as a whole exactly yeah. but also there's a thing to be considered like um, with the uh, with things like uh, like setting up businesses and things like that there are gains that people are going to get from it so why would people actually stand okay. up for it because yeah right exactly up against exactly, capitalism yeah. or the environment and if capitalism is benefiting you then obviously you're just going to go oh it's that a bigger stuff.
4: I do, yeah.
3: that's that's a whole other debate. Let's not get into that.